welcome to Bethesda Broadcast Episode 7. Today you will be hearing a message shared from the pulpit of Bethesda Church on Palm Sunday. In today's message, Pastor Roy Burkett will be sharing four different responses to Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We pray that this message gets you thinking about how you have responded to Jesus. Here's Pastor Roy Burkett from Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. If you open your Bibles to John chapter 12, we're going to skip ahead a few chapters uh, since this is Palm Sunday and we're going to focus on the triumphal entry of Jesus entitled the message, The Arrival of Jesus. This is Passion Week and with Passion Week is the greatest week of Christianity that we embrace. If we were to cut this week out of the Bible, we would cut out a big portion of the Gospels. We would cut out the portion that would take away our sin. And so it is absolutely vital as we focus on Passion Week that we remember what Jesus has done for us as we come into Passion Week and Palm Sunday. So we're going to focus on John chapter 12 beginning in verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him And that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Today we're going to focus on four responses to the arrival of Jesus. And in these responses, it is not necessarily that you only have one of the four. We may have several of the four. Hopefully we have the first three of the four and not the fourth one. And you'll see as we go through this. The first response is found in verse 12. It says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. The first response is one of anticipation. They were anticipating the Passover. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, had said that there were probably over two million Jews that gathered during this particular time of Passover week. And it was a special week. So anticipation was building. And you know, whenever you uh, have something important in your life coming up, there's an anticipation, isn't there? Uh, You anticipate if you get a new car. As a matter of fact, if you know you're getting a new car, less things matter. In other words, if you get a scratch on your old car, what's it matter? I mean, you get a new one anyhow, who cares you got a scratch on the old one? Uh, Something breaks in the old house, you're getting a new one, who cares, right? Uh, Anticipation has something to do with that. I remember a number of years ago, our family did a camping trip. And... We went to a place that had a nice lake and a little beach area, and I'm not really a a beach person per se. Uh, I'm less a water person per se, 
And, uh, but my boys love the water, and so I get out there and kick around. As, as long as I'm in about this deep, I'm good, okay? I am comfortable. I'm okay in a boat as long as I've got a life jacket on. You know, I feel safe. I'd rather be on the water than in the water, okay? And so this particular day, the boys convinced me to go out over my head. I don't know how they did it, but they did. And convinced me to swim out to the dock, so I swim out to the dock, and they've got a little slide that has a little curve. You guys remember that, right? <laughs> the little slide. And they even convinced me to go down that slide. I thought, what was I thinking? I don't know what I had for lunch that day, but anyhow, it must have impacted me. And so I went down that slide, and man, I started sinking down in the water deeper and deeper. I never touched the bottom, and I thought I was going down to my watery grave, Eventually, I did come back to the top, and I made it over to the dock, and I'm just about wore out. And then I'm looking at the shore, and I'm like, oh, man, I've still got to swim into shore. I mean, this is going to be a chore. So anyhow, I finally figure out how can I push off the dock to get a good start and get my energy going to get in to where I can touch ground again. And um, I was able to get in the water. I can take off much better when my feet are on the ground to take off, but I couldn't do that in the deep water. And I finally pushed off the dock and I started going. And I don't remember which one of you, do you remember which one touched me? All I know is one of the boys touched me and I panicked. I said, don't touch me. <laughs> I thought I was going to sink right there. And I am swimming, and I'm telling you, my heart is going like this, and I am just, oh, I thought I was going to die. I used up every ounce of energy I had, and I finally could feel ground again. I thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I am going to live another day. I did not do that again. Um, the anticipation of reaching ground was a good feeling. Uh, when I finally got there. But anticipation is, is crucial. Here, the crowd was building. Uh, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, it says six days before Passover, Jesus arrived at Beth Bethlehem where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here they were giving a dinner in honor of Jesus and Martha serving like she always did. And a dinner was there. They had a wonderful dinner. And people were filing into town left and right and Jesus is there getting ready for the Passover. And I thought about how different this scene is compared to what happens in our world today. You know, I was in some stores this week, and I don't know, maybe you were too, and I saw people wearing Easter bunny rabbit ears, and, and I thought, I wonder what they really think the meaning of Easter is. I wonder what they're anticipating in their house if it's just colored eggs and a bunny stuffed or are they really anticipating the worship of the God who paid the price for our redemption? Anticipation, the preparation, the feast of Passover week. They also, Josephus also said that they anticipated or estimated that there were some 250,000 lambs that would have come through the Kidron Valley being driven along for the sacrifice of Passover week. And many of us, uh, most of us probably know what Passover represents, but let me just remind us real quickly. Passover represented, remember in Egypt when the Israelites were in Egyptian bondage, there were 10 plagues that were given to the Egyptians. The 10th plague was the death of the firstborn of all of Egypt. 
and male in particular. And so the death angel went through the camp and the firstborn male of every household died unless they had blood sprinkled over their doorpost and doorway. They took the blood of an animal and put it over there and if the blood was seen by the death angel on that doorway, the death angel would pass over that house. That's where we get pass over. So many people hear the term and they have no idea what it represents. It comes from the Bible. Jesus passed over that house and spared and the Israelites were spared as well. So the excitement and energy was building. Some people were there just because of the excitement. Some people didn't even know who Jesus was. It tells us in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 10, it says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Others cut down palm branches like we see laid up here when Jesus would enter their town. Can't you just picture the whole street lined with people with palm branches, big, young, little, small, waving palm branches, and they were looking and craning their neck and straining to see Jesus coming into town, waving their palm branches. What a scene that would have been. What an anticipation it was for them to see that. And I can only imagine the noise that must have gone through there like a thunder or a tidal wave as they began to shout. In John 12, 17 and 18, if you'll look back there for a moment too, it says, now the crowd was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So there were a lot of people going out there curious to see who he was because they knew he had power, they knew he had authority, they knew he had ability, and they were interested in following Jesus as long as, listen, as long as he didn't make a personal claim on their lives. I think a lot of people want to follow Jesus until he wants to make a personal claim on our life. And when he makes that personal claim, that's where we want to get off the train. So let me ask you a couple of questions in response to this. You can go ahead forward to that slide, Bill. Am I anticipating the arrival of Jesus? Am I living in light of the fact that Jesus has arrived? Now, when I say am I anticipating the arrival of Jesus, I mean him coming back, a second coming. But do we also realize the fact that Jesus has arrived, that he has walked the earth, that he lived and died and he rose again so that I could be free from the burden of my sin? Do I anticipate, have that kind of anticipation in my week? That I'm looking forward to my week. What are you looking forward to tomorrow morning? Say, oh, Monday morning, I gotta go back to work. But are you anticipating Jesus being involved in your work? Are you anticipating Jesus being involved in your relationships? And Jesus using you? We have Super Summer Jam coming. Are we anticipating Jesus using us to touch the lives of other people? For the cause of Christ, we should be anticipating that in our lives. We of all people should be joyful people, anticipating God at work in our lives.
Well, let's move on to the second response. The second response is found in verse 13. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. The second response after anticipation was adoration. It was a shout of praise and adoration for this king. There were some in the crowd that believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that was prophesied about that would come and deliver people. You see, they were under the bondage and domination of Rome, the power of Rome. They had no king to lead them and to guide them. Oh, they were allowed to have a high priest and they were allowed to worship God, but in a very limited way because they did not want them to rise up and become a Jewish state. The adoration of Jesus as king. It tells us in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, verse 40, it says, On the first day you are to take choice fruit from the trees and palm fronds, leafy branches and poplars, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And see, the palm branch actually held symbolic importance to it because when the Jews rededicated their temple during the Maccabean era, palms were used in the celebration. In extra-biblical writing, we learn that palms were also used by Levi as a symbol of ruling power. During both major wars in Rome, reliefs of palms were stamped on the coins minted by the rebels. So palms symbolized Israel's national hope. And they were focused on Jesus as he enters the city, that this is the guy that's going to bring victory. This is the guy we're putting our hope in. This is the guy we are trusting in. And I'm sure there were naysayers in the crowd as well. Maybe some holding their palm branch in ignorance, but many holding it in hope that this was the one who would bring deliverance for them. If we go back to Psalm 118, uh, for a moment, and just take your Bible and flip back there for a moment, we see uh, something in this psalm that it's important for us to see. It says in Psalm 118, verse 26, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. So it comes right out of this psalm here. Uh, and the word Hosanna, when he shouts Hosanna, this word Hosanna means save now. Asking Jehovah to save now, God's messenger, God's Messiah to deliver his people. And there was a correlation between the waving of the palm branch and the shouting of Hosanna. In the Feast of Tabernacles, they would have male participants, both men and boys, who would wave the palm branch when the temple singers reached the crescendo of Hosanna. They would wave the branch as an exclamation point to this king of kings and lord of lords, one who would save and deliver them from their bondage. And in the midst of the shadow of the palm branch, if we look down into verse 23 of chapter 12, it says, Jesus replied shortly after this event, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And what was he saying? It was in that hour of glorification that Jesus gave his life on the cross. And when he gave his life on the cross, the Hosanna, save now, was fulfilled. 
Hosanna was fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for our sin. The fulfillment of Hosanna was fulfilled when Jesus died. The Samaritans in John 4, 42, when they saw Jesus and after the woman at the well said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did is not this the Christ. It says many Samaritans believed on Jesus. And here was their testimony after they believed on Jesus. They called Jesus the Savior, the Hosanna of the world. And indeed he was. But we also see in the midst of them shouting Hosanna, we also see the fickleness of the crowd, which I think is no different in our day. The fickleness of the crowd was this. One moment they were shouting Hosanna, God save us. In the next moment they were shouting crucify him, kill him. And that's how fickle the crowd is today. Well, people, oh yes, they'll bow their knee to Jesus and they'll follow him for a week or two or a month or two or a year or two and then they're out of there instead of a lifelong commitment to Jesus Christ and adoration of who he is and what he has done for us. And it says, he who comes, notice Hosanna, blessed is he who comes, indicating the expectation of this coming Messiah with the beginning of the messianic age. If we flip back to John chapter one, just briefly, in the very opening chapter of John's gospel, Jesus is revealing himself to various people. He calls the disciples in John chapter one. And we look down in verse 45. It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. And then Nathanael says, how do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He confesses that he is Hosanna, the king of Israel. In John chapter 18, when Jesus is on trial before Pilate, and Pilate asks him who he is, are you a king? He says, well, people are saying I'm a king. And he says, but my kingdom is not of this world. He says, then you are a king. And Jesus indeed said he was a king, but he operated from a totally different value system. Let me ask you a question in regard to adoration. Do I only adore God on Sunday? What about the other six days? Do I have an appetite for God? Do I see his hand in my everyday life? You know, there's a lot of people that separate their life from Sunday to Monday through Saturday. They give God an hour or an hour and a half on Sunday and then the rest of the time they feel is theirs rather than adoring God throughout the week and giving him the praise that he is worthy of. That everything I do is I'm a representative of God and of Jesus Christ. We need to adore him seven days a week. Look at the third response found in verse 14 and 15. Jesus found a donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. There's an affirmation here. 
And look in verse 16. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Sometimes we can't affirm God's work in our life till down the road. And I think that was true with the disciples. Sometimes they, even as they were walking along the Emmaus Road, they were sad because they thought their king was dead. And they couldn't find him. And yet, years later, look what happened. After they found out he had risen from the dead, look what happened. There was a change that took place. The initial response was one of confusion. They were confused by what they heard because he was the king. But they were more confused by what they saw because they did not see Jesus using secular authority to rise himself to a position of king and overthrow Rome and take over the world. That's what they were expecting, and it didn't happen. Jesus' approach was simple. It was not sophisticated. It was not complicated or clever. There was no big buildup to the main event. Jesus came into town riding on a donkey. A simple animal. Let me just read for you this and listen to these words. In John 12, 15, you can follow along. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. I want to point something out to you. Back in the book of Zechariah, in chapter 9, verse 9, this same prophecy is quoted, but it's interesting how the prophecy starts there versus here. Here in John, it says, do not be afraid. But listen in Zechariah 9, 9, what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Very specific type of donkey, a donkey that had never been ridden. Jesus told his disciples to go find this young donkey, not even fully grown, to bring him to him. And if somebody asks you, why do you need it? You just tell them the Lord needs it. You just tell them the Lord needs that donkey. And that's what he told them. But here, a very specific prophecy regarding the type of donkey. But here's what I found strikingly interesting. In John, he says, don't be afraid. In Zechariah, he says, rejoice greatly. I'm like, those two don't jive. Rejoicing and don't be afraid? So why does John say, don't be afraid? And why did Zechariah say, rejoice greatly? I think because Zechariah was prophesying, looking forward to Jesus coming, rejoice, your king is coming. Your hope, your deliverer, your Messiah is coming. Rejoice in that, and we should. But here, John tells the followers, don't be afraid. Why? Because you are going to face persecution if you choose to follow Jesus Christ. You are going to face difficulty if you receive the gift of salvation and you have to live out the life of that salvation. You are going to face persecution and difficulty. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. And notice he says, O daughter of Zion, and notice the word daughter there is capitalized. Why is it capitalized? Because he's referring to Jerusalem, the Jewish people, a group of people, the Jewish people. And Zion oftentimes is referred to in Scripture, but it's referring to Jerusalem. And also, do you remember what Jerusalem stands for? Jerusalem, the last part of the word, shalom. 
is the same Semitic root of the word for shalom where we get the word peace. It is the city of peace. It is a foundation of peace. And guess what Jesus came on? What kind of animal? A donkey signifying peace. He was the prince of peace because anytime a king was going into battle, a king would not come into the town riding on a donkey. He would come into town riding on a horse, a war battle. And here Jesus comes, the total opposite of any king, riding on a donkey, an animal of peace, saying, I am the prince of peace and my kingdom is not of this world and I will not overcome this world the way a normal king does. I will bring peace. I will bring salvation and deliverance, but not through secular authority or not through political advance. So the crowd understood this cry of Hosanna to be one of immediate salvation. Jesus understood the road to salvation would require great courage. There wasn't going to be an immediate deliverance for these people. And they would have to not be afraid. The act of riding on a donkey fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy. See, some people are like, well, how do you know the Bible is true? Well, just look, go back and look at the dating of when Zechariah was written and when John is written and how many years that is apart and how it was absolutely precise of how he was going to come. And it was fulfilled in the Gospels. It also, this act of riding into town on a donkey demonstrated the humility of Jesus. Gentle and riding on a donkey. Let me read this. It doesn't say who the author of this was, but I found this interesting. It was the perspective of, we have Palm Sunday, but he says this is Palm Monday. Palm Monday, and it's looking at Palm Monday through the eyes of the donkey, okay? The eyes of a donkey on Palm Monday. Palm Monday, the donkey awakened, his mind still savoring the afterglow of the most exciting day of his life. Never before had he felt such a rush of pleasure and pride. He walked into town and found a group of people by the well. I'll show myself to them, he thought, but they didn't notice him. They went on drawing their water and paid him no mind. Throw your garments down, he said crossly. Don't you know who I am? They just looked at him in amazement. Someone slapped him across the tail and ordered him to move. Miserable heathens, he muttered to himself. I'll just go to the marketplace where the good people are. They'll remember me. But the same thing happened. No one paid any attention to the donkey as he strutted down the main street in front of the marketplace. The palm branches, where are the palm branches, he shouted. Yesterday you threw palm branches. Hurt and confused, the donkey returned home to his mother. Foolish child, she said gently, don't you realize that without him, you are just an ordinary donkey? <laughs> and I thought, don't we realize in our lives, without Jesus Christ, we have nothing we have nothing to offer the world. We have nothing to offer life. We have nothing to offer hope, salvation without Jesus Christ. We're nothing. 
And yet in John chapter 6, if we went back to John chapter 6, you'll remember the feeding of the 5,000, which we haven't quite got to yet in our study. But after he fed 5,000 people, plus women and children, it says this in verse 14. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king, listen, by force. See, they were going to force him into kingship and leadership. Make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself because that was not God's plan to come by force. He came in a spirit of love and peace. So let me ask us a question in relationship to this third response of affirmation. Do I affirm the reality of truth by how I live? The places I go, how I treat people, my attitude, my spirit, do I affirm the reality of truth by how I live? And am I striving to conform my life to God's truth? That should be the desire of each of our hearts. The fourth response is one by the Pharisees, and I hope it's not any of ours. Look in verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Theirs was not affirmation. Theirs was agitation. <laughs> they were absolutely agitated with this guy who kept coming to them, and they would question Jesus, and Jesus would answer them back with a question. And finally, at one point, they asked Jesus a question, and he answered them, and it says they weren't going to ask him any more questions because they were afraid to. They were absolutely agitated with Jesus. It says, and let me just ask a couple questions here at the end of this. Am I agitated with God? Has he failed to act on my behalf? And the reason I ask that, you say, well, what do you mean has he failed to act on your behalf? There are some people who feel that God has failed them. But unfortunately, he has not failed you. That's your perception. You are basing God based on your circumstances rather than his word. You see, we have to define God from the Bible, not from my experience. I will go through difficult experiences, but God is going to walk through those experiences with me. Remember footprints? When there was only one set of footprints, it was there that God carried us, the Bible says. Or, or the, the, the poems, the, what's the words? Uh, poem says. It was there that God carried us. And so we will go through difficult times, but God is there to carry us through. I'm going to ask us to stand for a word of prayer. And I just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to ask you this morning, what is your response to Jesus? Do you have one of anticipation that God is at work in your life? And you anticipate God to be at work in your life. Or do you anticipate Monday morning to be one of, well, I've lived this before, 
for the last however many years and I'll live it again? Or do you really believe that God is at work in your life and you anticipate him to be at work? I often will say when I meet with people one-on-one that God is at work in your life, whether you recognize it or not. But the most important thing is, will you give him room to work in your life? You see, there are some things that God cannot do because we have willpower. We have choices in our life. God wants to work, but we have to choose to give him room to work in our lives. And oftentimes, he will bring painful things into our life just to show us that we need him. I know he's brought painful things in my life to show me that I need him. Even believers, even people who have walked with God for a long time, God brings those things into our life to remind us that we need him. What about adoration? Do you have adoration in your life, not just on Sunday, but you adore him throughout the week? And the only way that you can is you have to be in the pages of Scripture, adoring God in the pages of Scripture throughout the week and meditating upon him. What about affirmation? Does your life affirm the truth of Scripture in your life? Or is it agitation? I hope it's not agitation. If it is, let that agitation lead you to God. Jesus has made provision for every one of our lives. Many people are trusting in something other than Jesus to get them to heaven, and they're going to be disappointed. Because Jesus said, I am the way, not one of the ways, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we have to be willing to acknowledge our sinfulness before God. But not only that, we have to acknowledge and believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, that he paid the penalty for our sin in full. And I embrace that in my life. God, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and paid the penalty for my sin. And I give my life to you. Not for a week, not for a month, not for a year. My life for you for life. And the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. If you have not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, would you ask Christ to come into your life right now? If the Holy Spirit is prompting you, would you right there in your seat say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and paid the penalty for my sin. And I invite you into my life by faith to embrace you. If you've made that decision this morning, would you let me know after the service so we can pray for you, so we can give you some resources to help you? Or maybe you have questions. You say, you know what? I want to believe, (laughs) but I'm just not sure how to believe. I'm not sure how to put my faith and trust in Jesus. Would you talk to me after the service? If I'm, I'm busy, then grab somebody else here and say, hey, can you direct me to someone? Please don't leave here if the Spirit of God is dealing with your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Passion Week. Lord, we thank you for this week in which 
you came into town riding on a donkey to fulfill prophecy, to show your humility, and you as the Prince of Peace who would deliver your people by the way of the cross. And even though you came into town and you heard the shouts of Hosanna, you knew that those shouts would soon turn to crucify. And you were willing, in spite of all that, to die on our behalf. Because you knew that our goodness was not enough to wipe out our sin. You knew that there was no way that we could bridge the gap that exists between our sinfulness and a holy God. That you gave your life and you bridged the gap with the cross. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today who has never bowed their knee to you and acknowledged their sinfulness and believed that you died for their sin, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. And they would invite you to be their Savior and Lord and learn how to walk with you. Lord, I pray that you will help us this week especially to take time to set aside to reflect on this week of passion and all that it represents as we move toward Good Friday. We remember your death, the brutal death that you gave for our redemption. Lord, we also thank you for resurrection and we look forward to celebrating that as well. Lord, may you help us to anticipate you at work in our lives and to adore you in our lives and to affirm truth in our lives. Lord, we love you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Lord's Day. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you have any questions or want to know more about our church, please go to our website at www.bchweb.org or find us on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.